Excellent. Good morning. We're almost through our series on supernatural. We're looking at the miracles of Jesus, and we're trying to figure out what these miracles tell us about Jesus and about the kingdom that he comes to reveal to us in his coming. Uh, look in your worship folders. We're going to find Jesus walking on the water. Let's read from Matthew chapter 14. We read that immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way off, a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. After meeting the crowd's need, Jesus sends them away, has the disciples take the boat back to where they embarked from, and he remains by himself, and he finds a place on the mountain to pray, which is what he wanted to do probably, but was impacted by the crowds and had to meet their needs. It was his original goal, so he dispatches the disciples, retreats by himself, and then prays on into the night, connecting with the Father. He did that in order to endure and to find the direction, the mercy and grace that he needed to be able to continue to do what it was the Father put before him. He connected with God, his Father, in order to find strength. So the disciples, Jesus is alone on the mountain praying. The disciples are alone struggling against the wind and waves on the lake. They're probably a mile or two from shore. Uh, the phrase, fourth watch of the night, reflects the custom of dividing the night into four watches. This is the fourth, so somewhere between 3 and 6 a.m., and they have spent the night pulling against the waves, trying to get to the other side of the shore. Um, then Jesus suddenly appears. Again, there's winds and waves, and it's up and down. And it's, yeah, like that. Oh. <laughs> uh, Jesus suddenly appears miraculously walking on the water. They don't recognize him. They think a ghost has appeared. And Jesus says, mm, you know, it's I. Don't be afraid. At this point, Peter proposes a test. Again, it's Peter. He engages his, he engages his mouth before his, his head starts thinking. But he said, if it's you, help me come out to you in the boat. You've got to admire his courage, though, don't you? Everybody else is, hi, 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 hi. and Peter's there, hey, I want to come. 
Yeah, if you can do it, I want to do it too. So um, He agrees, and Peter does indeed walk on the water, but only briefly. <laughs> He's walking on the water. It would be something fun to see. I hope some of these things are available when we get to heaven. Don't you? Some of these replays and highlights and not those highlights, the good highlights, yeah, the bad highlights. We're not going to have to deal with the bad highlights. We talk about that often. There won't be any sin highlight reels. It won't be there. It'd be nice, though, to have some of the incidences that occurred and be able to look at them together and have Peter tell us what he was thinking. And I did that, and then we're gathered around him, and we're slapping him on the back. and Gotta be cool. Maybe it's not slapping on the back. Um, he's terrified, begins to sink. This uh, he does a good thing. He doesn't do the Hail Mary. He doesn't do the Our Father. If he does, he's a goner. Lord save me. That's it. It's a very straightforward, simple, direct prayer. There's not there's not a lot of finery gathered around it. Um, and uh, Jesus rescues him by grasping his hand, notes Peter's weak faith, and asks why Peter doubted him. They climb into the boat. Without a command, this time the storm ceases when they get into the boat. The biblical text, if you look at the Bible, the sea is represents especially deep chaos and the place where dark things occur. And as it's turbulent and stirred up, Jesus' ability to walk on top of it is a God thing. His ability to say, be still, is at that time they would have heard these things. And we know these miracles. We've heard of them at that time. And when uh, Matthew is recording this, they would read this and say, gee, that's that's definitely a God thing. Uh, it's significant that Jesus can also share his capacity to walk on water with Peter. If Peter's able to walk on the water, it's because divine authority has commissioned him to do so. It's not something Peter can just do, but Jesus bids him to do so. When the disciples realize that Jesus has walked on a storm-tossed sea, stop the storm, they worship him as the Son of God. As we looked last time, and it is true, um, we said that you can be in the middle of God's will and be bailing like crazy. The reason why they are in the middle of this sea in the condition that they're in is they have obeyed Jesus. He said, get into the boat and go to the other side. And they were doing what Jesus told them to do. They were doing the will of God when the storm broke. And the point being that you can be in the midst of a storm bailing trying to figure out what in the world am I going to do, and you can be smack dab in the middle of God's will. We usually believe that if something's wrong, it's because somebody misstepped, that if we are dealing with some things, if things are surfaced which are difficult, that somebody did something wrong, and that's not the case. And we'll find especially so in in terms of disciples. We find biblically that Frequently, water experiences are followed by wilderness experiences. A water experience is when you're walking on the water. And you're saying, hey, oh, look at this. And then there's a wilderness experience. It tends to follow quickly. 
on the on the far side of a water experience where all of a sudden you're not walking on the water, you're sinking into the surf, or you are by the Sea of Galilee, not I'm sorry, by the by the Red Sea, you've just walked across, and then you are escorted, driven by the Spirit into the wilderness, and then two or three days ago, you were walking across on dry land, and now you can't find water anywhere, and you're wondering if you're going to die. This kind of quick turnabout is creates spiritual whiplash. It's very difficult. It catches you unaware, and it's what we find biblically oftentimes. It's a flip. And the um, question then is why? Why? Um, there is the fruit of a troubled heart. Look what it says, um, Matthew chapter 13. Jesus tells a parable. It says, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed some seeds, fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose and they were scorched, when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. And then Jesus goes on to explain what the point of the parable is, and he explains. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world. And the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. What this passage, what this parable is talking about, it's about faith that results in fruit bearing. It's faith that results in fruit bearing. This is not so much about receiving spiritual life, but reproducing it. Sometimes you read individuals, well, is the first guy, the guy who didn't understand it or understood it, is he a Christian or not? This isn't defining who's a Christian or not, but who's fruitful, who is not receiving spiritual life, but reproducing it. The person who is not necessarily a container, it's not talking to be about being a container of spiritual life, but a conduit, one to and through whom spiritual life is reproduced. That's the what Jesus is talking about in this parable, and it's talking about the lives of those to and through whom God is exerting influence on the earth. Those who bear fruit, and in the context, the fruit is not merely about character, but its influence, its impact. Individuals who are being used to carry the message to somebody else. Um, And what we find here, those to and through whom God reveals himself must learn to manage a troubled heart must learn to manage a troubled heart. A troubled heart will not be an option for those to and through whom 
God reveals himself. Faith that results in fruit bearing must manage attraction to pleasure. Again, when it talks about, we've talked about this, the cares of this life and the deceitfulness of riches are very preoccupying. It's nice to have everything covered, to know where this is going to come from, to know where that's going to come from, to not have to worry about retirement, to not have to worry about this or that is nice. And what it indicates is that that the one to and through whom God manifests himself, their things aren't necessarily going to be all set up. They're not going to be able to look at their life and find the ability to have checked off all the things that are worries. So if there are concerns that you have, it, there's ways, and we'll talk about, to manage it. But the presence of concerns does not reflect the absence of God, especially if you are a conduit, one through whom God is going to reveal himself. Again, to obey Jesus and to follow him will mean being in the middle of a circumstance where you're bailing like crazy and you're smacking the smack dab in God's will as you do so. Um, what we find, what the picture there is about choking. We've described that before. It's a picture, the picture of this action is Jesus is in a village. There are a lot of people in a particular house where he's teaching. He leaves the house and people from everywhere inundate him. That's the picture of choking. Now they didn't run at him to hurt him. They besieged him. They wanted to touch him. He couldn't turn without finding another person there. And that's what the cares of this life and the deceitfulness of riches do. You turn in this direction and the questions and the, what are you going to do about this? And when are you going to invest in this? And you, wherever you turn, you are being besieged by those thoughts. That's the point Jesus is making that those to and through whom he reveals himself are going to have to learn to manage the inundation with the cares of this life and the deceitfulness of riches. These things aren't bad. They're things that you cannot delete from your life. You have to manage them. You have to manage money. There's things that you have to take care of. What Jesus will indicate, though, is that there, while taking care of them, there is the need to not assume that it's God's will that you remove every anxiety-producing situation or circumstance from your life. It's natural. In fact, to be supernaturally used, you're going to have to deal with a troubled heart. Troubled biblically, that's the image biblically of troubled. It's to be stirred up and agitated. It's, it's the picture of a troubled heart is when you open the lid of a washing machine, oftentimes you can't do that anymore. It used to be when I was smaller, if you could open up the washing machine in mid-cycle, and now it locks, and you know what I mean. Um, so you can, you can see that it's up and down, and, and that's the image of a troubled heart. It's turbulence. It's emotions that you can't control. Sometimes you feel under control. But then there are things you worry about. For some of us, it's health issues. 
and you're facing health concerns. And when you think of it in the night, you don't ask to be worried about it. It just comes. I wonder what I'm going to be like next year. Or there's financial concerns that we look at retirement, and you're not going to be able to pull it off. You see the commercials about, if are you ready? And you're saying, no, I'm not, and I don't have time to get ready. Um, it could be emotional, facing things. You're wondering, why am I so preoccupied with this, or social? There's things that are concerning, and you think about them, and that's what it feels like inside. What if? Oh, no. What if? Oh, no. What? Oh, no. And once you're in the what if and oh, no's, those things don't end very quickly. Because then you can think about what if this happens and then this, oh, that would be terrible. And it's very turbulent. That's the way it feels inside. It's upsetting. Um, faith that results in fruit must manage attraction to pleasure. Um, Faith that results in fruit must also manage aversion to pain. Again, we want to be pleased, and we have to learn that we're not always going to be in places that are pleasing. We want to avert or avoid pain. That's not going to be possible either. We're going to end up in situations that are painful, that are grieving, that hurt, that we don't like. We're going to say, I don't like this, and I don't like the way this makes me feel. I want to feel good about things, but I don't have what I want to have. I don't do what I want to do. And when we don't have what we want to have and do what we don't want to do, then we don't feel what we want to feel. I'm going to say that again. When we don't have what we want to have and when, we, when we're not able to do what we want to do, we don't feel what we want to feel. And naturally, what do we assume? What's wrong? <laughs> and we try to influence our desires, or influence somebody's decisions, okay, what's going to happen, though? God's not going to allow you to influence your decisions in such a way as to bring peace in your heart. It's not going to happen. Now, there'll be times of peace, but there will be times of turbulence. If you are one to and through whom God reveals himself. That's what this parable is saying. It's part of fruit-bearing. Um, it says, since in the Bible, since he has no root, he, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. Um, and it says that what's going to happen when somebody, especially if you are in a position because you have made a decision to follow God, to be involved more deeply in what God is doing, and because of those decisions, again, when persecution and pain come because of the word, not because you aren't following God, but because you are, and when you are in a situation where you're following after Jesus brings about pain and suffering, brings about something that, oh boy, I didn't know it would lead to this, that is what it's describing in here as somebody whose faith is not deeply rooted. When trouble or persecution come because of the word, they quickly fall away. And so you can understand what's happening here. Somebody who says, I'll give my life to Jesus and I want to be used. And initially that might feel really good. I feel peaceful. I like 
this. I like that. I like what following Jesus is bringing about. At some point, following Jesus will bring about something difficult. And at that point, what Jesus is saying, those whose root is not deep are going to say, that's it, I didn't sign up for this. Okay. But that will occur, and those whose faith is driven deep are going to say the truth about, you know, I really don't like this, but I'm going to hang on. And that's the image of those, the kind of person to and through whom God reveals himself is going to be in that situation. It says when it describes this soil in the beginning of the parable, this is what it says about it. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. And here's the picture it's painting. So there is this seed in the ground. And the soil depth is shallow, is rock. And so when the seed goes to put its root down, it hits rock. So what does the root system do in order to find nutrients? What ends up happening, it ends up coming up out of the ground prematurely. It doesn't have the root system to draw stuff from the soil. There's just not enough soil there. So it comes up above the ground to try to catch what it needs to catch. But the elements above the ground are harsh, and there's not an ability below the surface to draw from the things that are necessary to perpetuate life above. I think there's an image here, an image here. We would like to think that we can draw sufficient connection above the ground, looking around at people who are beside us to be able to cause us to feel okay about life. We'd like to think that, yeah, my family, that's enough for me, or my husband, or my wife, or my kids, or my job, that's enough. And try to find our sense of security, and again, from those around. And that's okay, but what's going to happen at some point? There will be times that we'll feel more lonely. That the people won't be around. Or even if they're around, they're just not meeting the need deeply enough. And at that time, when above the ground doesn't give enough support, that's the time that it's nice to have deep roots. How does God deepen your roots? What happens, what, my, what I hear, is that when a tree is on a hillside and that tree is buffeted by winds, the tree instinctively knows to drive its root system deep in order to stabilize itself. It just knows to do that. So it's being buffeted by wind. The root system drives down through the rock, around the rock, goes deep because it knows it has to. I got a question. What has God done in your life to force your roots to go deep? Things didn't work out like you thought they were going to work out. I didn't 
know it was going to be like this. I didn't know life was going to be like this. I thought that following Jesus was going to be easy, but it isn't. I thought life was going to be easier than it is, but it isn't. And in those places, those are difficult places and lonely places, but they're places, if we're honest, we say, we start to be honest with God. As Jay talked about, in the midst of learning to live with tension, we seek his mercy and grace. And what ends up happening? Slowly, the the roots of our faith get driven, driven down in deeper, deeper. And we end up having to base our sense of security on what he says rather than on what we see. By the way, you know what that is? Living not by what you see, but by what he says, that's called faith. That's called faith. And we learn faith in places like this, where we can't draw security from what we see. We have to learn to draw security from what he says. And by the way, this is not an easy process. It won't make you feel good. In fact, it will make your heart feel like that. And our tendency is, if we are in a place where life is difficult, our assumption is, and what we'll hear from others is, well, what did you do wrong? I mean, you can have your best life now. Well, you should be having your best life now, shouldn't you? Isn't that what it's about? If you obey God, God gives you a nice life, and everybody looks at you and says, that's what it's like to be Jesus. I want to, I'll want i sign up. That's not the way it works, folks. Not the way it works. You don't get your best life now. Not if you're going to be a person to and through whom God reveals himself. Um, the road to spiritual maturity passes through difficulties. Trials are not optional. Um, the problem is, you know, there's individuals who say about what Peter did wrong. I know what he did wrong. Uh, he took his eyes off Jesus. Okay. Maybe we can say that. But you know what? If I'm walking on the water, I'm going to do exactly what he did. You know, you get, again, what, what ends up happening, it's, in fact, I talked to somebody once who talked about being waterboarded. And individual I talked to about being waterboarded, it's, it's something you can't control. You know, you're, you're tipped back and you have this, this, you can't see and water's being poured and no matter what you think you can do, I'll just breathe through it. You can't do it. You think you're drowning. It's one of those places you could say, no, I'm not going to, I'll just, I'll just, I won't breathe. I'll do this and I'd be fine being water. No, you won't. I talked to this individual. He said, you just can't control it. You know what ends up happening sometimes? We're emotionally waterboarded. Emotionally waterboarded. Emotions come to us. We feel like we're drowning in them. They're very different. Anxiety and fear well up within. What are we supposed to do when we're hit with those? There's sometimes it's very difficult to calmly and coolly look at God and talk to him. I'll just keep my eyes on Jesus and I'll be fine and I can walk on emotional water. You know what? There's sometimes that's not going to work. It's not going to work. Sometimes you're going to get upset. And at that time, Understanding if you're upset is the perfect time to cry out. It's the perfect time to cry. It's what Peter did. Lord, save me. And perhaps we can learn something from Peter about honesty, about honesty.
Don't start your prayer with, God, thank you for today, if you're not thankful for today. Tell them the truth. But understand that if you're in a difficult situation, ask him for the mercy and grace to be able to do what you need to do in order to be what he needs you to be. Because the fact is, following Jesus will mean managing desires for pain, pleasure attraction and managing tired desires for pain aversion. We assume that if you're doing what you should be doing, I shouldn't have pain. That's not true. And so if you're in a painful situation, that does not mean you are out of the will of God. In fact, it could very well mean that you're in it. And if there's things aren't pleasant and pleasurable for you in a specific circumstance, you cannot assume that that's not the will of God. That's the will of God that you to be pleased. It isn't. It isn't. We'll have to live in tension. And there's mercy and grace to help, and that's where being honest. In fact, there's a couple things that we need. So what do you need in a place like that? You know what you need? The hardest thing about being in a place like that is how lonely it makes you feel. If you're dealing with difficult emotions, difficult things, it feels very isolating, doesn't it? Nobody can completely understand. Jesus understands. Jesus is the friend of a troubled heart. He understands what it's like to feel things. That's why he came. Look what it says um, in John 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Jesus dies, Jesus dies so that individuals can share in spiritual life. He says, unless a grain falls to the ground and dies, that's what happens with the seed, isn't it? It goes into the ground, it decomposes and dies. The shell dies. And then as the shell dies, the life that's inside that shell that is released by the death, what has happened? That becomes a plant. That plant grows up, and now you started with one seed. One seed dies. That tree comes. Now, how many seeds do you have? Those of us who rake leaves, too many. And those whirly bird helicopter things that end up flipping in, and they get. You ever try those things? I tried one of those. Now I'm going to forget. I'm going to forget what I was talking about. But I got to tell you about the mesh thing. There, you know that 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 plastic mesh thing you put over your gutters to protect you from whirly birds. It's like a whirly bird house. They just drop. It's like, it's like a filing system for whirly birds. They just drop right in that thing. And before you could just swoop them out, but now you got to pick them out of the, okay. See, I know, I have no idea where I was now. I'm, um, <laughs> I don't know where I am. <laughs> I knew this would happen. Uh, Thank you. Uh, 
So what I, what I was saying, uh, those things don't all the time fall into Mike's gutter. They fall into the ground, and it decomposes. Okay. One last thing. But sometimes, <laughs> sometimes people aren't as quick, <laughs> I've heard, to clean out the gutters. And when that occurs, my, that's an interesting place for a plant to grow. <laughs> and you can find green stuff coming out of your, how many understand that? Thank you very much. I feel, I don't feel so alone. <laughs> that's, thank you very much. Um, and it doesn't feel very good. To, okay, I'll, I'll get off of that. I'll, okay, I'm, I'm good. Um, sometimes those seeds, they fall into the ground. <laughs> into places that you don't want them to grow, but that's a whole other thing. They, they, and then the seed decays and deteriorates. And then a plant starts to come up out of the ground. And that plant, if allowed to bloom, is going to bear something and have lots of seeds. So Jesus' point is, if I come and if my life goes into the ground, and this it didn't decay with him, though. But through faith in him, as he rose, we're able to be in him. And because he dies, we have the opportunity to live. He says, this is why I've come, so that you can have eternal life, so that those who believe can have eternal life. Um, it, he didn't just come for that reason. Look what it says. Now is my soul troubled, and that's the word. The word is agitated. Uh, now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say, Father, save me from this hour? For this very purpose I have come to this hour. You know what Jesus came just, he didn't just come to die, he came to feel that. You know why he came to feel that? So that you would understand that he feels what you feel. Now again, not exactly the same thing. Does Jesus understand an emotionally troubled heart? Absolutely he does. Absolutely, that's why he came. The Father does not know that firsthand, except through the Son. The Son of God knows that firsthand. And that's why when we talk about being in a storm, the deal with a storm at sea, when any kind of financial, emotional storm, the goal is endurance. Endurance means to remain under to learn to live in a situation that you would change if you could, but you can't. That's what endurance is. If, if it's pleasant, it's not endurance. If it's something that you need to change, want to change, but you, you live in, you remain under, that's endurance. Endurance, let, in, let that have its perfect result when you have been in a situation, and by holding on and holding on to him, you've hung in there? What the Bible describes, that's, that's a evidence of provenness. Those who have some connection with God that's real develop an ability to be in a place that they would like to leave but can't, and the fact that they've been able to survive becomes evidence that you have something real. That evidence 
becomes assurance that this is, you know what? I know I belong to him because endurance and evidence and assurance. But what is it at the heart that allows for us to live in turbulence? It is God's love expressed in sympathy and sovereignty, the sympathy of the Son. When we come to God, there are two steps, really, and we're in a place where we're in a difficult spot. The first thing God extends to you is the sympathy of the Son. I have a very specific directive. I'm going to ask you to make more room in your thoughts for Jesus' sympathy. I don't believe you can be as honest as you need to be in the Father's presence without taking hold of Jesus' sympathy. He understands emotional turbulence. Does Jesus understand what it's like to sin? No. Does he understand what it's like to be emotionally turbulent? Yes. Do you need to understand that? Yes, you do. Yes, you do. When you're in a place where you're disturbed and fearful and anxious, and as you're thinking of directing your thoughts to God, the first thing to grab onto, God, thanks that your son, Jesus, you understand what it's like to feel like I feel. You say, why do I need to do that? Because at some point, when we're like this in a storm, we have two things that need to happen. We need to address the situation, but we also need to address a security issue. If you're alone, that's tremendous. That breeds insecurity. And you know what you need? You need to not be alone. That's where Jesus says, I want you to take my hand, and I'm not going to pull you out of your situation, but what you're going to feel is sympathy. Have you learned to take hold of Jesus' hand? The sympathy that you connect with, that he understands what it's like to feel, and at some point when you learn to do that, if you're honest, number one, if you're authentic about what you're going through, that's stage one. You know what, God, I'm in a tough place. I feel I have what I don't want to have, I do what I don't want to do, and I feel what I don't want to feel. And Jesus holds his hand, take my hand. I understand what emotional turbulence is like. The sympathy of the Son. I'm going to ask you to become brilliant. That's why Jesus took on a body, so that he could have experienced emotional turbulence. And with the sympathy of the Son, you can enter into and experience the sovereignty of the Father. And you can pour your heart out. God, I, I'm, I don't know what I'm going to do. I ask for wisdom to know how I'm going to live in this situation. The sympathy of the Son and the sovereignty of the Father, those two things, as your life revolves around them, leads to endurance, evidence, assurance. And do you know what ends up happening? Your root system goes deep, driven deep. And you experience stuff above the surface, and you not only are stable, but you become a place of stability for others who come to you, and they can find shade in what you know. They can talk to you about what they're dealing with, and because you know, you can listen to them without preaching, without saying, well, you did something wrong. You just join them. 
let them find shade. Um, when our hearts are troubled, we need sympathy. We also need encouragement, and that's what God provides. What does it mean to step out in faith? It means to, at some point, surface difficult emotions and learn to deal with them. There's a um, The Titanic was known as the unsinkable ship. Six skilled mechanics from Belfast went down. They had a funeral service, and a visiting American pastor led the service in the, in the church to which the 16 uh, mechanics belonged. His subject was the unsinkable ship. He didn't apply the term to the Titanic. He applied the term to this ship in the middle of the Sea of Galilee on two separate occasions that was tossed and blown by the wind. The unsinkable ship, it was an unsinkable ship because Jesus was in it. That's why it couldn't go down. Jesus was in it. It was buffeted by storms, but it couldn't sink because the Son of God was in the ship. Um, Jesus still brings calm in troubled seas. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. Situations that you're in, don't imagine that Jesus has abandoned ship. He hasn't. Um, Connect with the sympathy. Enter the presence of the Father. Pour out your hearts to him. Connect with his sovereignty. Because the fact is, the situation you're in is not, he's not unaware of it. It's, it's a place that you can learn to let your roots deep, have your roots go down deep. Uh, the sympathy of the Son, the sovereignty of the Father, provides a context in which you can become one to and through whom God reveals himself. Hey, pray for us. <clears throat> Father, I want to thank you for your purposes. They are difficult at times. If the roots of our faith are going to grow deep into your love, then we're going to end up being in situations where we are going to experience things that don't feel good. And we learn through endurance that you do show up, and that provides evidence of both who you are and who we are to you, and that brings about assurance. And would you allow us, would you enable us to, to know how, what your love is like for us? It's stability, it's security, something that we can find as a foundation in the midst of turbulence. Thanks for that. And I pray that you would enable us to be individuals to and through whom you could reveal yourself. For Jesus' sake. Amen.